Hey everybody, it's Kenny Luck and I'm joining you from a small but powerful space that God is using to reach hundreds of thousands of men around the world every month. I'm talking about the Everyman Broadcast Center. You know, we're closing out one of the wildest years of ministry that we've ever had and one of the best years that we've ever had. You see, just like you, there was a life that we expected to live this year and the things we expected to do in 2020, right? Then that gave way to the life God called us to live and some different things that God called us to do. Now, thankfully, the Everyman team was in a perfect position to seize both the global and the cultural moments to bring men together to deliver powerful and prophetic truth from God's word for such a time as this and grow the movement dangerous good men around the world. You know, we were setting records in every broadcast outreach category as men turned to God in these times. We broke a single day live stream record as over 10,000 men tuned in to hear a word from God in one live stream in our Corona Chronicle study. And single days like that began to add up and those single days turned into a single month record for the live stream audience. That record was shattered. We also had a single series record, the Corona Chronicles. That record was broken. And for every number, I want you to know that there's a life that was touched by God's spirit through God's word. We even got to add this year 66 new curriculums to our men's video library. Yep, another record. You see, our theme for this season was Philippians 127, which says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So whether I see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you are standing firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for faith in the gospel. You see, through COVID, we stood firm with you as one for faith in Christ. Through a season of great division, we stood firm with you, unified under Jesus. When the family was getting attacked, we stood firm, not budging, fighting for the family. And through the fatigue and depletion and depression, we resolved to strengthen your walk. The hope and the promise of Jesus came to you every day, every week, every month and right now every man ministries needs you to stand with us here at the year end and give generously now what we believe here at every man is that one transformed man transforms many things hundreds of thousands of transformed men transform millions of things every day as they encounter Christ through the ministry of every man and they engage God's plan for their lives. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to simply click the donate link below and risk being dangerously generous. Why? So that we can continue to raise up and encourage men to become dangerous with goodness in the spirit of Christ. And in the process, those same men are gonna bring God's love and justice to women and children and a world that is waiting. So from the whole team at Everyman, 
at the end of the year, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Have an amazing holiday season. Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. We're in part two of a new series that we're starting called Force of Habit. And if you're joining us for the first time, let me give you a quick review. In this series, what we're saying, I think, is what we already know, that when we see success, when we see someone who's the best at what they do in a certain area, whether that's sport or business, what do you see? Uh, you see habits, you see persistency in those habits, and persistency in certain habits results in consistency, skill, intuition, and excellence that helps them uh, be successful and achieve their goal. So that's number one. Number two, we're saying that our habits uh, form our lifestyle and that those habits that form our lifestyle are a force in our lives. How do we know that? Because good habits are hard to establish and bad habits are hard to break, right? They're powerful. They are a force in our lives, and we're striving to get on the good side uh, of that power, and we're trying to eliminate uh, the bad side and the bad habits because that's forceful in our lives. But here's what we're also saying. Once you establish the right habits, and that's what we talked about in part one, once you establish the right habits that form a lifestyle, all right, generically, I'm just saying, form your lifestyle, it's going to save you energy, it's going to save you emotions, it's going to save your life probably, and, and that's the practical side. Now, let's talk about it specifically, all right, on the spiritual and on the faith side of things. God, as we learned in part one, super interested in what your habits are. Why? Because your habits reveal your truest self. Your habits are a window to your inner man. Your habits shape your heart and your habits show your heart. And the Bible says that God evaluates the heart. All right. So in part one, we made a case from God's word to establish the right habits that develop a lifestyle of commitment to God. In part two through five, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the specific God-ordained habits that help a man of faith know God, glorify God, and serve God's purposes. So let's start part two just by asking another question, and here it is. Are people who are successful at achieving their goals and desires simply born that way? So after studying men and leadership and influence for the last 30 years, I can tell you the answer to that question is an unequivocal no. Men who achieve their goals and are moving forward toward their goals, whether that's with God or with people or in business or in professional athletics or just where they have some things that they want to accomplish, they're successful at doing those things because they have uh, established the habit of doing things that other people don't do in the moment. And it's important that we remember that it's in the moment because, right, isn't that the tension? The tension is in the moment, right? Do I discipline myself to keep doing that? Do I persevere in that? Do I persist in that? 
so that I can move forward to a goal or not. It's the, should I do this or should I not do this question in the moment in order to move a desire or a goal forward. So here's the big idea that I want you to get in your head as we set up part two. I become what I repeatedly do. Let's say that again. I become what I repeatedly do. Therefore, my habits will make or break me depending on what they are, right? So if I train at music, I become a musician. If I train at war, I become a soldier. If I train at consuming alcohol, porn, or drugs, I become an addict. Now, let's move it over to our relationship with God. If I train at faith in Christ, I become God's man. And that's the whole reason why we're here. That's the reason you're here or you're checking it out is that's our identity. Or some of you are checking it out and saying, hey, that may be the identity that I want. Well, that's going to involve repeated actions and habits. You become what you repeatedly do. And God is interested in that. And God has a plan for that. And God has a process for that. And God has a purpose for that process. And we see it all over uh, in, in scripture. So if you have your notes, take those out. I want to look at a few uh, passages of scripture that just reinforce that thing that we become what we repeatedly do. And then when you repeatedly do one thing, that forms an identity. And when you form an identity, people know you for that identity. And when they know you for an identity, you get called into specific things that connect to your identity, right? Let's look at a passage from Genesis 14. Uh, the context of this passage is that some evil terrorist kings have kidnapped the women and children and men of a whole city. And then we roll the film in Genesis 14 uh, when Abram hears about this. It says this, quote, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, listen to what he does. He called out the 318 trained men born in his own household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. So you have a terrorist attack. Hostages are taken. Uh, Abram finds out. Uh, who does he dial up? I mean, the guy whistles, and he calls up the 318. Who are the 318? There are 318 men who have trained, who have practiced, who have persevered in that training and that practice and sacrificed to train and practice. And they, through that process, have become very skilled at hunting and fighting and bringing back what people have taken. So it was an elite group of men, and these were men that Abram knew, right? Pretty cool to whistle and call out skilled people for a specific mission and achieve the mission. The Bible says that they attacked these terrorists and they routed them. You see, that would never have happened, and we would never be talking about this victory for a community and a community of men 
unless there had been trained men. We read about this in 1 Chronicles 25, except for it's not on the military side, it's on the musical side. All right? It says this, All these men were under the supervision of their father for the music of the temple of the Lord, with cymbals and lyres and harps, for the ministry at the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the supervision of the king, along with their relatives, all of them trained and skilled in music for the Lord. They numbered 288. So you see the same principle, but in a musical contest. Abram needed special forces. He needed trained men, right? The temple needed skilled musicians to minister in the house of God. What's the common denominator? All of them were trained and all of them were skilled. You fast forward into the New Testament and Jesus is talking about training in Luke chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. He says, he says this, and he puts it in the context of like a picture. The Bible says, he also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. All right, so in the first vignette, we got Abram, terrorists, the need for special forces. We need special forces who are fully trained. All right, next, next picture we had from scripture was there's the temple of God. The temple of God needs skilled musicians. All of them were trained and skilled in music. And then we get to the New Testament and Jesus is talking about men who follow him. And he says that men who follow him, when they're fully trained, listen to this, they will become like him. So that big idea that we shared a little bit earlier about we become what we repeatedly do, Jesus has his disciples who discipline themselves around habits, repeatedly doing things because he wants them to become like him. And so as we move forward into our discussion, just remember that. Why are we here? Why are we talking about force of habit as men of God? Because God wants us to become like Christ. So let's kind of unpack those three scriptures and just, just identify some things that we see kind of by way of review, but then leading into our first habit that God says we need to develop. So the process for uh, forming a strong identity in Christ, what do you see? All right, write this down. You see habits. Right? That means that we make choices that will help us grow our relationship with God and build a lifestyle of commitment to him. So we see habits. Number two, we see perseverance. So moving left to right on your notes, we see perseverance. These habits aren't a one and done thing. It's not a one day thing. It happens today. It happens tomorrow. It happens next week. It happens the week after that. It happens the month after that. And it happens every day. There's perseverance. And when you have habits that a man perseveres in, you begin to see a consistency of lifestyle, all right? You begin to see an intuition. Uh, you begin to develop a reputation, right? 
And that consistency uh, develops another visible thing. You see skills, right? So think about Abraham. There were his 318 trained men who had habits of training for war, persevered in habits of training for war, got consistent in their habits of training for war, and the result of that is skills that were developed, and that's why they're called on, all right? So then when you have skills and you're known for your skills, that develops your identity, right? So the 318, they were known for being special forces. The musicians in the temple, all right, because of their training, right, they were skilled and trained. So they're musicians for God's, God's house, all right? That's their identity. And then what we see is that identity leads to an expression. And here's what I mean. Trained people who have skills and have developed them through consistency and perseverance and specific habits, all right, they are called and deployed to fulfill specifically that purpose. Now, I want us to hear that. Why? Because we're training to be God's man. And when you develop the, the habits and you persevere in them over time and you become consistent, you begin to develop some skills as God's men that other men do not have. And you form an identity, and that identity is going to lead to an expression. And guess what? God wants that person, that God's man, that, that, that man who's consistent in his habits and, and persevering in those and is skilled at being a man of God, he wants to deploy him into a world that is desperately in need of God's men who can enter spaces and advance the purposes and kingdom of God. All right, so let's see a little picture of that in Acts chapter 13. It's a group of guys just like us. They're getting together, but they didn't have the technology that we have, but they could physically get together. And it's at the first church uh, in the book of Acts in Antioch. Listen to this description and see if you can notice uh, the dynamic. All right, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you got a men's group, right? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So what did you see? You saw men who had the habit of connection, the habit of worship, the habit of prayer, the habit of fasting, right? They were meeting regularly and persevering in those. They became known as, as leaders in, in God's kingdom and in God's church. Uh, that was their identity. And then God says, hey, guess what? I'm going to deploy you, and I'm going to send you to advance my kingdom. This is important because if you're watching and you're a men's group or just even us watching in community as individuals, we need to get some other guys who are coming together to study God's word, to worship, fast, pray. Why? Because we want the same thing to happen for us. We want the Holy Spirit to come into that meeting and that connection and that fellowship. We want him to speak. We want him to call. And then we want to get deployed out into kingdom advance. And so 
there's a, there's a good introduction which sets up our look at our first habit, which is the habit, write this down, of putting God first. And the habit of good, putting God first, as we look at it in Scripture, involves a couple of things. And I have this on your notes. It involves recognition and action. All right? So let's explore that first habit of God's man, which is the habit of putting God first. And let's see what recognition means and what action means. All right? So recognition. What do we have to recognize to have this habit in our lives? We've got to recognize it's what God wants. God wants to be first in your life. And we see this repeatedly in Scripture. And I just cherry-picked a couple of passages. But God has super strong feelings about who's first in your life. In fact, in Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are, let's look at the first commandment. It says this in verse 2 or 3. I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery? You shall have no other gods before me. You see, when you put anything before God in your life, the Bible calls that an idol. All right? When you look to something or some influence to fulfill your intended purpose for life, if it's not God, it's called an idol. It simply cannot accomplish that. And that's the spiritual battle, isn't it? Are we going to put God first? And are we going to look to him so that we can fulfill the purpose for which we are created? Or in the spiritual battle, out of fear that somehow God doesn't have a good plan for us or doesn't love us or doesn't know what he's doing, we listen to a lie and we look to something else first to provide meaning and context for us as men. And that ultimately leads to self-destruction and a wake of destruction around, around your life. So we have to recognize when it comes to the habit of putting God first, that's what God wants. He wants it because it's personal to him. He's God. He can fulfill those things. But it's also because he knows the consequences of you putting other things first in your life. In Matthew 6, we see Jesus talking about how God wants to put us first. And he says this in verses 31 through 33. He says, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? All right, those are potential things that we can seek first. Uh, why? For the pagans, Jesus says, run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But now here's the alternate choice that every person can make. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, right? So aim at your relationship with God, and the other things that you think are going to fulfill meaning and purpose in your life, those get thrown in. Not a bad deal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means his way of living, right? His character and his conduct, which equal a way of being and a way of believing and a way of behaving. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and the other stuff gets thrown in. But don't make the other stuff God, because that's not going to work. And that's been man's dilemma from the beginning.
you know, where we look to some source other than God to fulfill our needs for meaning and significance. So how do I establish the habit of putting God first? First thing I got to do is recognize that that's what God wants. God wants you to put him first. And I know I'm talking to some men right now where when you look at the panorama of your life, God's first here, he's first here, he's not first here. He's first here, he's first here, he's not first here. And the Holy Spirit is saying to hundreds of men listening to this broadcast right now, God's saying, I want to be first. And I need you to repent and have a change of mind because you're seeing right here in my word that I want to be first in your life. And those other things that you're putting before me or where you're kind of putting me on the shelf and doing your own thing, that's called idolatry. That's demonic. That's not healthy for you. That's not going to work. So recognize it's what God wants. Secondly, recognize that putting God first is what is what reality requires. Right? It's a reality that God should be first. And if God's not first, you're not living in truth and reality. And this boils down to the age-old question that goes back to the garden and ever since man was created, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what's good? Who gets to decide what's bad? Who, who gets to decide what's beneficial and who gets to decide what's, what's evil, all right? And this is, you know, the battle from the beginning. Now, God, uh, and when we say it's that seeking him first and putting him first is what he wants, that's a personal thing with him. Uh, when we say recognize putting God first is what reality requires, that's a positional thing. And before I read the scripture, I just want to set this up. So, you know, I play a little basketball, and uh, if I was uh, had an hour with Steph Curry and he wanted to help me with my shot, who's talking and who's listening? It's positional, right? He's more skilled. He knows more. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's a world champion, all right? Now, what if I started telling Steph how to do his thing, right? You'd laugh at me. You'd say, shut up, dude, because it's a positional thing. You're not him. He has a track record. He's got the stats, bro. And you played high school basketball, all right? Yet, men have the arrogance with God to go like that. All right? Would never do that in a, in a professional context or a training context. We kind of know who knows more. But with God, somehow, uh, some men, and some men I'm talking to right now, you feel like you've got a permission slip to just go, yeah, you know a lot over here, but in this area, I'm in charge. Now, positionally, that is not reality. And it talks about this in Colossians chapter 1 and what our response positionally should be. Uh, the Bible says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Question, 
does Jesus Christ and his desires and his priorities and his will have first place in your life? If it doesn't, you're not in, in reality. Because the reality is that he is first. All things that have been created, of which you are one, are through him and for him. You're created through Christ. He was over the sperm and the egg coming together and you forming in your mom's womb. And you were created for him. Which means the reality is, is that he is first. And he is positionally in this place as the firstborn of creation, as the creator of both the heavens and the earth, of all authority structures, of all things. Why? So that he could be first in everything. So the habit of putting God first, you have to recognize that's what God wants, and and you have to recognize that's what reality requires. Third, you got to recognize it's where all spiritual movement begins. You want to see God move in your life, and you want to start that movement of God in your life, you got to put God in the A position in all dimensions of your life, right? Listen to what the scripture says in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Did you hear that? For from him and through him and to him are all things. All spiritual movement, everything God starts with Christ and through putting him first. So as I said, if you want to see God move in your life, put Jesus in the A position in everything if you want to see spiritual movement and power in your life. Now, what happens if you believe those things are true, that God wants to be first, that that's what uh, reality requires, and that's where all spiritual movement and movements uh, begin, putting God first? Well, um, you will see a few simple and powerful things come out of your life, all right? And the first thing is that you start to think God first. When you recognize those things, you start to think God first. Right? In Colossians chapter 3, we read about how we need to set our minds before we live our lives. It says this in Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. It says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You know what you do when you set things? You set things before you use things, right? I set the temperature of my oven before I bake something. A sniper sets his sights, and he calibrates his sights 
before he pulls the trigger. I set my body correctly before I lift a heavy object or something is going to break. God wants you to set your mind on him before you begin to do anything every day where you train yourself to think God first, right? And that's, that's the right way for God's man to start the day uh, for yourself and for your relationship with God. But that has to be a habit of thinking God first. And we see this in the Bible uh, where men put themselves in a position and they develop the habit of seeking God first. In Psalm 143.8, it says this, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for, for to you I entrust my life. If you work that back, okay, this is about my life, my lifestyle, I need to be shown a way to go. I need to trust God. What has to happen? Well, out of the box in the morning, the psalmist says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Let my thought process get going, right? About a person and about how he loves me and about how he's trustworthy and about how he's the shepherd and I'm the sheep and he has a way for me to go and I need to start trusting him from the second I become conscious in the morning. Now, I realize that if you're like me and you're coming out of uh, deep REM sleep and your phone alarm or your alarm clock is going off by the side of your bed, it's sort of like, uh, you know, the fog sort of has to clear. But once I get my mental footing, um, that's what I want to do. I want to start thinking about God. I choose to think, okay, the day is starting. I'm about to start living it. I'm about to get out of bed. How do I want to do that? Do I want to do, I want to do it with God or do I want to do it with myself? Can even the mundane things that I'm doing in the morning as I'm getting ready, can I start thinking thoughts about God? That's why Jesus says in Matthew 22 when he's asked, hey, what's What's the most important commandment? And of course, we know it's to love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, all your soul. And he says, with all your mind. We love God with our minds. When do our minds get going? Consciously, when we wake up. And so if we recognize that putting God first is what God wants, that's personal recognition of what he wants. And then if we recognize that it's what reality requires because he's first in everything. That's positional recognition. And if we recognize that, that, that putting God first is where all spiritual movement begins, when we start to move, we got to set our mind on God. And the scripture tells us that's what we, before, right? We, get, we set things before we use things. Set your mind before you use your life every day. Right? Clive Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis, I'll say it again. Relying on God has to start all over every day, as if nothing yet has been, been done. Jesus said that we live with him and partner with him in 24-hour increments. And that 24-hour increment starts with a thought. Right? So if we recognize those truest truths, 
we will think God first. Secondly, we will speak God first, right? Our insides and how we're thinking will come out through our mouths. Look at what it says in Psalm 71, verses 7 through 9. I have become, right? We become what we repeatedly do. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. So you see where the psalmist is talking about, you know, what he's becoming and what his reputation is, and it's this guy trusts God. This guy's a man of faith. God's his refuge. What does it look like habit-wise? My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. So when you think God first, it's natural and normal for your insides to come to your outsides in literal words. You begin to speak God. Look at what it says in Psalm 19:14. It says, "May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer." All right? So, we start our day pleasing God by thinking about God and then speaking words about God and to God that starts in our mind and moves to our mouth. Look what the psalmist says, David in Psalm 51. He says, "Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, words have power, and words can form habits. And we have habits connected to our words. And God wants your habit with your word, right, to speak God. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, cheesy or uh, synthetic or or goofy. It just means that we worship God with our mouth. And you can worship God with your mouth by singing songs of worship, by speaking truth, by building up other people, right? We start to think God, and when we, when we think God, we speak God. Now, imagine just getting up and starting your day in the morning, and you're walking out to the car, and you got your coffee or whatever, and your briefcase, and your, your backpack or your toolbox or whatever it is that you're bringing to start your day. You put all that in the car, and but to get moving, you, uh, you pull out your key or you, you got to press that, that electronic ignition. You got to start the car. Thinking God first and speaking God first is like starting the car for your day before you drive it. And anyone who knows me knows that um, as soon as I'm out of the mental fog and I start to get a little clarity, my mind, my mind goes to, to God, and I always say the same thing every morning to sort of start the engine of my life. And I say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's how I set my life before I live my life. And so think of thinking God first and speaking God first as sort of starting the car, right? But now the third action that happens because of recognition is we begin to place God first, all right, and I, and I, in our lives with choices, all right, and and that's like driving the car. So I, I start the car in my life every day, thinking God first, speaking God first. But now I'm driving the car, and now I begin to place God first. And the first way I do that is where I put my time. All right, time communicates priority. 
When a guy says, well, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time for God. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to connect to a men's group. I don't have time to serve, right? He's not stating a fact, all right? And neither are some of the men listening to this broadcast. You're not stating a fact when you say, oh, I just, I wish I had more time. It's not about time. It's about priority, right? You're just stating a priority. And so when we place God first, it looks like where you put your time, right? Look at what the Bible says in Exodus 29, 42. This is where God wants us to put our time. He says, for the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance, listen to this place, to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. So not only does God want to be first, but he wants to be first in the area of your time, and he wants to meet with you, and he wants to speak with you first. Not second, not after you've checked your inbox, not after you've checked Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or your bank account or your schedule for the day and Outlook. He wants a place where he can connect with you. And when you look at this passage, uh, there's worship happening in this, this tent of meeting. How frequent is it happening? Well, regularly, right? It's, it's happening. And what's happening regularly? There's worship, there's the offering uh, to God, and then there's meeting with God and God talking to us. Wow. I need to say something to a lot of guys out there that are listening to this broadcast. God misses his time with you. There's been spiritual drift in your life. No points off. You've gotten busy. There's activities. There's work. There's projects. There's the pace of life. But God is waiting for you, and he misses his time with you. And you need to reestablish what we're calling your tent of meeting. And you need to devote time there. When you place God first, or you place anybody first, you place any relationship first, time communicates real commitment. Not words, not texts, you know, not a, not a quick, you know, call me. It's when you actually say no to other things to say yes to a person. That communicates commitment. That communicates priority, right? And God wants that from you. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it goes beyond beginning your day with God, thinking God, speaking God first, placing God first, and having time with God to start our day to just how we're going to live. We put God first with our time. It says this, work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. So we carry that priority, not just in the form of an event where we have our coffee, we go to the tent of meeting, we look at what God says, we ponder what God says, we let God speak into us, and then maybe we have a dialogue with him about what he said, asking for his power and help. It goes beyond that. It goes into wherever we're going. Prioritizing God first is portable. It goes wherever I am. 
whether I'm with people or I'm in a meeting, whether I'm with Chrissy, whether I'm with my kids, whether I'm playing sports, God wants to be first. I'm going to choose him first. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to do the thing that, that gives him the most pleasure. I'm going to please him. So I place God first by where I put my time. Secondly, I, I place God first by where I put my resources. Now, am I talking about money? 100% I'm talking about money. I can tell your priorities by taking out your checkbook ledger, which probably nobody else, nobody uses a lot these days. But if I were to look at a page that, that had your checking account on your computer and where you spent your money, I could just say, well, this person's about this, 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 and this. Because there's a little description about where you're putting your money. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what the Bible says, right? In fact, that's the scripture on our notes. It says this, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Can I just say something? You invest in what you're interested in. And money tells a big story about our lives. If you love your kids, you invest money in your kids. You love your family, you invest money in your home. You love God, you invest money in the things of God. What does that look like? I'm a giver. I'm generous. I'm a generous person to church, to the purposes of God, to resources that help, to I am a generous investor in the gospel, right? That's placing God first. You know, in the scripture, and I know this is a sensitive subject, but we got to get over it because God says he wants to be first. In the scriptures in Proverbs 3, 9, it's not in your notes, but it says, honor the Lord from your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. I'm speaking to a group of men right now who, um, God's not first in your finances, all right? That's just the reality. And um, God's saying to you that that tells me about your heart and what you believe about me, that if you're a generous giver, you believe that somehow you're going to lose resources versus gain them. When I've said in my word and even in this Bible study that if you seek me first, I'm going to add everything to you, but it's going to take a step of faith. So for those of you who are in that boat and God's convicting you and God's going, hey, you know what? I know you have bills and all this stuff, but are you going to trust me? Do you believe that if you give generously to me, starting with your tithe to your local church or to support of a ministry, that I'm going to chintz you? Somehow I'm going to rip you off and punish you for being generous because you're putting me first? Wow, man, if you, if you think that, that's a lie and that's from the devil. But God says, man, he loves a generous giver. Why? Because he's generous. He's been generous with you. So people who've been treated generously by God should have the habit of putting God first in their resources and be generous to God and, and to other people. And God doesn't need our money. It's all about your heart. So place God first. How does that look? It's where you put your time. It's where you put your resources. And on that point in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, a super important word to all of us men, we need to be generous says this, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop, but a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time 
to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. So am I going to pause right now and just say, you know, if every man has blessed you, bless every man. Yes, 100%. That's what Chrissy and I do. We bless counseling ministries. We give to missions. We give to people. We give to every man. And we want to do that because God has lavished on us, and we want to be lavish givers. Why? Because he's a lavishing and giving God. God so loved, he gave, right? So um, it's where you put your resources. That's how you place God first. So where you put your time, where you put your resources, that's how we know what's first in your life. And then where I invest my talents and gifts. Look at what the scripture says in Ephesians 2.10. It says, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So God has created you uniquely. God has created you for this hour of human history. God has deposited natural skill sets and spiritual gifts. And there's a work on earth that only you can do. And that work needs to be engaged. And you have to use your, your time and you got to use your resources, but then you got to use your talents and gifts, not to serve yourself, not to build a kingdom on earth, but to serve God and build the kingdom of God. And I'm as convicted when I say that as you probably are right now. God needs us right now to take our time and our resources and our talents and our gifts and let's get to work. In that verse, it, um, in, in another translation in the NIV, it says, we are God's workmanship. The word is poema. Poems are unique, right? Poems are, are written by God. And we're like a poem, and it's an original story, right? We quote the author. The author of this poem is whoever. You're an original story. God's working out your, your poema. You're his workmanship. He's created you not to serve yourself, but to serve his purposes. So that's how we place God first. It's where we invest our talents and gifts. We can put God first. And then lastly, it's how I make my choices. Because, you know, putting God first has a bunch of different expressions, a bunch of different settings, a bunch of different contexts. Those are the first three are just automatic. Time, resources, talented gifts. But then we got a lot of other choices, and the Bible talks about that in John 8, 29. Here's how we make all our choices, all right? Listen to the words of Jesus and what he modeled for us. He said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So no matter where you are, no matter what's in your schedule today, no matter who you're talking to, no matter where you're driving, uh, no matter what you come to home to, you have a mission, and the mission is this, do what pleases God. And that takes the mystery out of what does it mean to please God? It's do the thing that shows love for him and love for other people, All right? Those are the two simple buckets that have thousands of expressions in your life, All right? Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. It says this, 
and, uh, and, and we should put this on a sticky note and put it in the mirror. So we make it our goal, right, to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So whether you're still on earth or whether you die and go to heaven, the goal is we're going to be pleasing God. So if we're going to be pleasing God in heaven, we might as well start learning how to practice pleasing him on earth. How do you do that? Do that thing today that shows love for God in people. Start making choices that are different. Place God first. People say, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? You just go, man, I'm learning something that's changing my life. I'm learning how to put God first in everything. Not sure where it's going to take me, but I'm going to do it here, here, and here. I'm going to put God first, right? Think it, speak it, and do it, right? Could be your time. You got to reassess your time. Could be your giving. You got to reassess your giving. And I will say, please give to every man at the end of the year. We need it. We got to reach more men, all right? Invest your talents and gifts, right? Make new choices, right? Please God with all of your choices. And I, and I got to say that, that this process of we become what we repeatedly do, God takes this super seriously. So recognize today that that's what, what God wants. Recognize today that that's what reality requires. God's first. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, all right? Recognize that that's where all spiritual blessing and movement comes from. It comes from putting God first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And here we go, all right? And that's what God wants you to hear today, right? But practically, start the engine of your day by thinking God first. Start the engine of your day by speaking God first. Then, as you start driving into your day, start putting God first in everything, pleasing him, doing that thing that shows love for God and people. So that's what I want to declare over you in prayer right now, over every man that's listening and watching. There are guys in coffee shops, in living rooms, in cars, there's, uh, there's some guys running and listening to this right now. And what God is saying is, I want to be first in your life. That's my number one desire. I just, I want you to know that I desire to be first. I don't want you to have any other gods before me. And I want to be your number one thought. And that's because of who I am in your life. I'm the vine and you're the branch. I'm the potter and you're the clay. I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep. You need me to be first. And I want to be first in your life and help you and bless you. And Lord, I pray for every man hearing that, that they'll receive that word from you today. And now, Lord, I pray for movement. I pray for new spiritual movement and new territory and new chapters to begin because you're going to be put first. In marriages, in businesses, in deals, Lord, you're going to be put first on the computer. Lord, new, new programs are going to be installed to prevent porn as a result of this Bible study right now in Jesus' name. We're going to start thinking about you first. We're going to start talking about you first and placing you first. Jesus, help us to be like you. We know that you've sent us into this moment in history. We are not alone. And Lord, we don't feel alone when we do what pleases you. In fact, we feel your pleasure. We feel you with us. We feel your power. We feel advance. And so God, thank you for part two. Thank you that we're getting into those habits that help us to become like Jesus. They help us to become God's man.
And so I cover every man in the name of Jesus right now, raise a shield over him that's going to extinguish all lies so that this truth that we learn today is going to take root and bear fruit. In Christ's name we pray, and God's men said, amen. We will see you next week for part three.